So thinking about that from an emotional point of view and on what's actually going through their mind, put yourself in your audience's shoes, your customer's shoes, and just really think about what that problem is that they have to solve. And if you can nail that, it doesn't matter what the competition are doing. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse. And today, my guest is Andrew Armitage. Andrew, how are you? I'm great, Matt. Thank you for having me. Great to see you. Hey, thanks for being on the show. I'm actually excited about our discussion. We haven't talked about the actual design of websites for probably close to 100 episodes. So it's been like a couple of years since we talked about it. It's a great topic for today. And let me read your bio. Andrew is the founder of award-winning digital agency, A-Digital in the UK, and the author of the Amazon number one best-selling book, Holistic Website Planning, Positioning Your Website at the Center of Your Digital Transformation. Andrew, I want to ask you this question right up front. Why do people need to build a more successful website? Well, it's a good question. And, you know, I think it is now easier than ever to build your own website because there are these tools like Squarespace, uh, you've got Shopify, you've got Wix. So it can be really easy to build a website of sorts, perhaps within an afternoon and start getting your message out there. However, at the same time, I believe it is also the most complicated time to build a website because audiences have become unpredictable, particularly as we've gone through the pandemic. We've seen new behaviors come out of that. You know, things like uh, Zoom that have now become a household name, those things aren't going to go away anytime soon. So we've seen this huge change in audience behavior and the technology is constantly changing. You know, we've got different organizations moving at different paces. We've got things like privacy changing, you know, the visibility of, of cookies, who's accessing data for perhaps email reporting, campaign management, attribution in ads. All of these sorts of things are changing at such great speed that it has just become so much more complex building a website. The practical side of getting a page on the web, hooking up your domain name, sorting out some hosting, those kinds of things are 10 a penny. But if you're really going to make your website a success and it's going to really deliver on the goals that you set for it, then that becomes another level. And there's really a lot more thought and planning that needs to go into the process of understanding what that website needs to do, what success is going to look like, and ultimately how you want not just your website to work, but how you want your business to work. You know, the website is, is it's a business tool and it's the hub for your content. Chances are it's the authority that you have online. Yes, some businesses may have things like social media profiles. They might have a Medium account where they're posting blog articles. They might have the majority of their audience on Facebook. But your website is the thing that you own and it's the thing that you can control and manage. So if that becomes the authority for your business where you're represented online, then it's got to match the experience that people are having as they're using other products and services. And as we've gone through the pandemic, we know that people are spending a lot more time online. So when you say, and as the title of your book is Holistic Website Planning, what types of planning 
should someone be doing before they start building their website? Because as you said, the, the technical aspects are not that difficult to get by. I mean, you can give Shopify or Wix or somebody a few bucks and, and off you go. So what kind of planning should people be doing? One of the first things is to to really think about what it is that you need to build and over what time frame does it need to generate some sort of results and what do those results look like? And in the book, I've come up with this concept called going the distance, which takes each letter of the word distance and it breaks down into eight key stages, data, internal process, strategy, technology, the audience and your actions that you want your audience to take, uh, normalizing digital culture, content, and then execution. So you've got those eight steps as a framework, as a guide to think about all the different places that your website can help you and all the different inputs that you're going to need to make a successful website. So you know, you've got to have some sort of approach for, you've got to think about the long term, because these are assets that sit within your business, can generate that return on investment. And if we take the, the various processes that go into it, not just sitting down and scribbling out on a few pieces of paper, what you want the website to do, how you might want it to look, but you've got chances are you're going to have to have some professional photography taken. You might want some video capturing. You're going to have to have your content written up to go on the page. And you might need to think about the various different interactions and touch points that people will come across your brand or your your, your business or your organization. All of that takes up a huge amount of time and human effort. So you really want to maximize that. You know, we've all learned as we've come through the pandemic, the importance of time and how valuable it is to make the most of, of our time. You know, we've, we've cut down on traveling, commuting, with online meetings and all those sorts of things. And in many cases, because people have been working from home, they've spent more time with family and that sort of thing. So you really want to be making the most of your time so that companies aren't in this boom and bust cycle of starting a website now thinking in three months time that it's not really doing what we want it to do. So you go back to the drawing board and chances are people start rewriting bits of content, uh, shuffling images around. And yeah, that, that can make a difference, but the chances are as you're making those much smaller adjustments, you're just becoming busy. You're just finding little jobs to do that aren't ultimately serving the longer term purpose of why you've got that website. So really important to think about what does success look like and over what time frame do you expect to see that success take place? Because chances are it's not going to happen overnight. Digital is never done. It's always one of those things that you, you're allowed to constantly iterate. And, and that's one of the great things with digital. Uh, you know, I, I talk about making yourself busy and not necessarily moving the needle. You're allowed to still learn from the experience that you've got, the data that you get from your website and make those changes. But it's got to be with an end goal in mind, or it's got to be with the view of satisfying a particular experience that you know people are or they're not getting from using your site as it stands. So having that long game in mind is is really key on understanding what success is likely to look like. Yeah, I think in most businesses nowadays, at least kind of small to, to medium-sized businesses, the largest amount of effort is put in, usually in, in really long, pointless meetings about what color should things be? Where are we going to put our logo? What's going to be on the menus? 
what text are we going to put where and who's going to write this copy for it and and that kind of stuff and rarely is it what is the goal and how are we going to reach the goal and how does what activity does the customer do on the website you know if you look at kind of some of the more successful web-based businesses out there you know if you go to a site like a good example would be something like Airbnb you go there and it asks you where do you want to stay from what date till what date right there's not a bunch of text and images explaining when the company was founded and and all this kind of superfluous information right i think there's a lot of value in kind of getting to the point to make sure to reduce the friction in the process. hundred percent. Make it as easy as possible for someone to book an appointment or to reach support or whatever that goal is. That's it. And, and, and that's where thinking about who your audience are, what the actions they need to take are, and what the data is telling you that if you've got an existing website, you, you've probably got analytics or something that is recording data um, and, and using that information. And that data, by the way, doesn't have to come from analytics. It can be just as good coming from having face-to-face conversations or, or stakeholder interviews or surveys with your customers. But once you understand what your audience need to do, what problem is your website going to solve for them? Then you can design and create that frictionless process, which we talk about visual. We think about design being the visual, the look and feel of the site. But actually, it's about designing the processes, designing the way you want it to fit within your business. You know, when, you, when you set up a business, you design the shop, the layout of your shop or the layout of your office. Those are all parts of design. And you do that in a way that makes it easy. And it's that path of least resistance that you're really wanting to achieve for your audience. So when they come onto your website, they know they're in the right place for what they're wanting to do or the problem that they need to solve. And there is a pathway for them to be able to achieve that. When a lot of companies design their website or redesign their website, they often look at their competitors and you know, other businesses that are similar to theirs, look at what they're doing and kind of emulate that on their website. There's sort of this like copycat syndrome of websites that goes on. What is a good way for people to plan their website so that they can have kind of something to differentiate them from the other businesses that are similar to theirs? Yeah, that's a really good point. One of the examples that I I often talk about and is so often heard, oh, we need an app. Okay, we maybe don't hear it quite so much recently because the novelty with apps has worn off a little bit. But just because, you know, Acme Inc. down the road has done an app does not mean that you need an app because you weren't in the room that ultimately defined the problem that led them to come to the conclusion that we need an app. So you've got to start by really defining what the problem is. And, you know, you go through uh, various different processes. You can look at understanding your audience through personas. You can also use tools like empathy mapping. So you can actually start and think about what are the pains and the gains of my audience? What are the things that is keeping them up at night? What do they fear? What are they frustrated about? And on the flip side, how can that problem be alleviated for them? How can you take that away? But also start to think about what do our customers see, think, feel, and do around our brand or around our content? And how can we then sort of create our content that 
matches those expectations, that gives people that warm feeling or helps them to see that path of least resistance to get the solution or enables them to say, this was a great experience. I'm going to tell my friends, I'm going to share this with other people. So it's very much about thinking of your your audience as as people as humans. You know, we talk very much about user experience, and there's a great phrase that I that I really like, which ah, I've forgotten the name of the the Netflix movie, but the the quote was: "There are only two industries that call their customers users: drug dealers and software developers." Let's start thinking about our users as humans. Yeah, you know, we've been through this experience of the pandemic where we've all started having online meetings and even quiz nights with friends and families over WhatsApp or Zoom calls. And we've got now this opportunity to use digital to make better human connections. And therefore, we stop thinking about our customers as users. Think about what's the human need that they have to get through to, to satisfy their frustration or the pain point that they've got. So thinking about that from an emotional point of view and on what's actually going through their mind, put yourself in your audience's shoes, your customer's shoes, and just really think about what that problem is that they have to solve. And if you can nail that, it doesn't matter what the competition are doing. You can do it in your own way with your own brand, your own touch points, your own language, your own tone of voice. All of those things then ultimately create a fantastic experience that your customers are going to remember and it will endure. They will come back to you time and time again if you can repeatedly solve that problem in a nice and easy way that gets the job done quickly for them. I think there's a misconception about websites with especially owners of businesses or people who are not from a marketing or sales background that websites are strictly for lead generation, right? And then maybe they'll be like, oh, you know, if somebody needs support, they'll come to our website sometimes. So we need a support section too. So it's always like everything on their homepage and and basically every other page on their website, except for the support page and the contact page are about lead generation, right? How do you get, you know, if you have a larger, a larger business or a larger organization, is there a good way to kind of get buy-in from people that maybe your website needs to be designed for returning customers and following up with customers and advocates for your brand and things like that, rather than just being a lead gen, like a brochure? Yeah, I mean, the, the key here is all about communication and inclusion. Because if you are working on a website like that, particularly with a bigger organization, and you haven't had those conversations that have included people, two days after the site has launched, you've got this big fanfare. Great. You're punching the air. We've done a great job. Dear client, are you really pleased with your new website? Well, I am, but Joey in HR has just contacted me to say that we've, we've not done this. Yeah. Where, where do people find the way to submit their CV for job applications or so on? And that moment, your heart sinks because you think you've done a fantastic job. The clients worked really hard on it. And these things are collaborative projects. You, you know, it's not one working for the other. You have to work at this together. So you've really got to make sure that you're covering all bases. And, and this is partly why I wrote the book, because I think there is this misconception that the website is solely a marketing tool or it's just a lead generation tool. But as companies get bigger, the touch points and the needs of their audiences become more diverse. And therefore, you've got to factor that in to the functionality and the performance of the website. 
It might be that your Google Analytics data, for example, tells you that the majority of people coming to your website are actually looking for a job, in which case you've got to have the infrastructure there around your your HR facility. And that might be just job listings. You might have application forms on there. You might have downloads in various formats that you need to make available to your audience. There's obviously the customer support side of things. What happens if you've got this big gap between those in the marketing team and those on the customer support side? Customer support are getting complaints perhaps about a particular product or it might be a courier in terms of how products are being delivered. That information has to get back up to the marketing team who might then be responsible for updating content on the website because there might be a real need to set an expectation around the customer experience if, let's say, there's delays with couriers or shipping or what have you. So you've absolutely, you've got to have this kind of working group whereby there is at least representation from different parts of the company. And it might be they don't need to be involved throughout the project, but they must be given that opportunity to have their voice heard. Otherwise, as I say, you get to what is meant to be the fanfare and success of launching the site, but only a few days later, as people start to look around it, start and think, oh, hang on a minute, where do I find this? Or where's this bit of information? And uh, and that's inevitably where you can come a little bit unstuck, particularly as an agency. So making sure that you've had those conversations, given people the opportunity. And the thing is, when people are involved in a project like this, they, they buy into it. They're a part of the decision-making. It's not like something has been thrust upon them and they've been told what to do. If they've got a sense of ownership of what the site is going to be and how they can use it once it's built, then that buy-in becomes so much easier. Yeah, there's also, uh, as you mentioned, your website is is something that you can iterate, right? So you can always keep working on it as you go. And it sounds like what people need is a process around, you know, making sure that everybody stays informed about what you're doing, but also has input that they can put in on what's needed for their part of the clients or their type of clients. You know, whether that's like the example you used about HR and job seekers, but also the approval process shouldn't be the only process that there is, right? I find that with most organizations, the kind of marketing is in charge of the website and then they will have some kind of approval process that goes through like finance and legal. And then maybe they talk to HR when they need to post a job, but there needs to be a lot more to it than that, right? It's kind of a missed opportunity, I think, for most businesses. I would say that of a hundred websites that I look at, client sites and sites that I visit for things that I am going to look for service or purchase or use for our company or whatever, I would say about five of them are good. I would say the other 95 are either a brochure website or they have some kind of major failing or flaw that makes them not very useful. So there's definitely room for improvement for most companies, I think. Yeah. And I think one of the big risks with those brochure sites that you talk about is they lead people to a dead end. What is the next step that you want people to take? You know, is that to fill a form in? Is it to go somewhere else? Is it to listen to a podcast? Is it to download something? Usually it's to get people to fill out a form yeah. and there is nothing that most people want to do less than fill out a form. Exactly. They're like, Hey, let me lead you to this thing that no one wants to do. Or they're like, call me and 
nobody wants to call you. I mean, I, some people still like using the phone, but you know, if you were to survey a uh, hundred average, you know, people on the street kind of thing, I would say at least half of them try to avoid having a phone call at all costs. The vast majority of people now want the convenience of self-serve, don't they? So again, it comes back to that idea of empathy mapping, thinking about what the customer is doing at that point. You know, you might have presented them with a perfect way out of their particular challenge or problem or a product that they've been looking for for weeks and weeks. Then all of a sudden, if you drop this great big form in front of them that asks all these unnecessary questions, what's going to happen? You've just taken the shine off the the joy that that person has just found at potentially getting hold of a solution. Yeah, there's a lot of other options out there for people. You know, a good a good thing, and you know, this is something I don't think that we mentioned so far, is to give people options to communicate the way that they want to communicate, right? It's it's easy with the technology that's available nowadays to have like a chat widget or something on your website, like talk or something like that, as well as you can message us here, you can call us at this number, you can fill out this form, you can email us here, right? And just have them all go to the same place as whoever was going to answer the phone in the first place or whoever's going to read the form, right? I mean, the technology is available, just like you were saying with, you know, live chat and stuff like that. The technology's there. Everybody's been using it when they were locked down during pandemic time anyway. So, you know, why aren't we using these things for our businesses? And it's because of that that customer service is so vital online now. You know, so many websites have got these widgets in the lower right-hand corner that you can click and you engage with live chat. I cancelled some flight bookings not so long ago over WhatsApp because there was the automation there. It just made it so simple. And I, I think, you know, from a business point of view, it does make it more confusing by having all of these different channels, but you've got to meet customers on their terms. If you're going to provide the experience that that works for them, you can't start gi- directing them in one way or another because, well, I don't use WhatsApp, so I'm not going to offer that to my customers. That kind of argument is just not going to stand these days. Yeah, there's um, kind of a, a crazy shift in, uh, and we're seeing it in, in the workplace right now. And I, I know in, in, I talked to someone in London, I don't know if it's the same where you are in the UK, but essentially unemployment is still high and people just aren't taking jobs. Like the companies cannot fill their open positions. And we've been finding that all over Canada and the US as well. Yeah, it is exactly like that. I think that right now kind of, workers are kind of taking it into their own hands to say, you know, we want better work conditions or, or we want to be able to work remotely uh, uh, is the same idea as consumers, you know, over the last five years or so saying we're tired of being treated the way we're treated by companies. And we want to communicate with you the way we want to communicate, not the way you want us to communicate. And, we want responses in the time frame that we feel is reasonable, not what you feel is reasonable. And, you know, there's a hilarious example I saw on a talk by Jay Bear. Jay Bear is the author of uh, Talk Triggers, is one of his books. It's really good. Anyways, this lady tweeted that she was stuck in the elevator of the Southwest Airlines part of the airport. And 209 days later, they replied and asked, are you still stuck in the elevator? 
And it's just absurd. (laughs) I saw a study that said when a customer messages a company on Twitter or on Facebook, how long do they expect the company to respond in? And then they asked companies, how long do they think is it a reasonable amount of time to respond to a customer? And the companies said 48 hours and the clients said 12 minutes. So there's obviously a huge divide here. And uh, the customer service mapping, like you were saying, and empathy mapping and, and, and planning your website for these kinds of conversations is going to go a huge way in making you stand out from your competitors, I think. Yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah, we've seen this shift of power that has gone from the corporates, from the brands. And this is, uh, this has happened over quite a number of years as social media has grown in popularity. You know, what's the saying? Uh, trial by social media. If you get it wrong, then, you know, that can be pretty hard to recover from if you've one of these PR bloopers or something's gone majorly wrong and social media becomes judge and jury and and they will decide. And that power has shifted. And one of the things that we've found over from some research here in the UK was that one of our UK banks predicted that there would be this level of high digital capability among consumers of uh, 65% by uh, 2025. Now, we've gone through the pandemic and we've already hit that level. We've already there. So, you know, this, this pace of change and acceleration is just starting to gain more and more momentum. There's no stopping it to juggernaut. There's no stopping it. And you either join it and say, look, I've got to be there. Or if you don't, you're just going to be left behind. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of that digital change, I just got the Starlink internet dish yesterday, right? The low earth orbit satellite internet in the middle of nowhere, right? I have fantastic internet now. And that's going to happen all across rural areas of especially some of the larger countries where it was too expensive to run other kinds of infrastructure to those areas. That's millions and millions of people who have not had good connectivity are all starting to join online and their businesses and all of the things that come with that. And man, if you got a business right now, you better be ready. You know, your website is a big piece of that. So I'm glad we were able to talk about it today. Andrew, I wanted to ask you one more quick question before we finish up. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast? Sure. So, uh, yeah, we run a podcast or I I host a podcast called The Client Side, and that is available on all the usual podcast apps. It's uh, typically comes out every fortnight and it's a guest interview show very similar to this where we pick a topic and we will get somebody to share their particular expertise around things like accessibility, strategy, purpose, or it might be something more specific like website performance or ads. So uh, so we've got a real variety of guests that have been through on our podcast and we've got 30, I think we've got about 33 episodes now. And you know, I love, I love the technical side of podcasting. I love having the interaction with people and, you know, in this job, you will know yourself. It's one of lifelong learning and there's always something else to learn. And, and I love taking those opportunities to, to listen to other people's stories and learn from those. And, uh, and I equally, hopefully, share some value by return. Absolutely. You know, I, I took a listen to your show before we were interviewed. It's really good. 
So you guys should check that out. It's called The Client Side Show. And Andrew's book is Holistic Website Planning, Positioning Your Website at the Center of Your Digital Transformation. And also, I want to make a quick mention of our live show, The Business Builder Throwdown, that you can check out at businessbuilderthrowdown.com. And uh, we also have a new podcast with that. It's called Seven Minute Jabs, which is a seven minute version of our 30 minute business builder throwdown show. And that's available anywhere you listen to podcasts. So Andrew, if somebody wants to reach out to you or get your book, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, the book is available in paperback and Kindle formats over on Amazon. There is an accompanying website for the book as well, which is called gothedistance.website. So you can reach me through that or the best place if you just want to connect, say hi, ask any questions is probably LinkedIn. That's usually where I spend most of my time at the moment online. Just look me up, Andrew Armitage, and we're based in Kendall. That usually comes up on the uh, the title on a Google search. So it's Kendall in the UK. But I also spend a bit of time on Twitter as well, at A Armitage on Twitter. But Twitter these days seems to be a place that people go to tell you what not to do. So I don't spend as, don't spend as much time as I once did on Twitter. But LinkedIn is usually the best place to find me. Yeah, my Twitter use has taken a dive this year. Also, I just I got tired of listening to people, <laughs> which is sad because it's such a great medium. But, you know... You just get too many people who, you know, the they say the people who know the least yell the loudest and, and they're louder than everybody else these days. So connect with us on LinkedIn. You can also follow me on LinkedIn, Matt Rouse. It's M-A-T-T-R-O-U-S-E on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter too, but I never go there, so probably don't bother. <laughs> All right, Andrew, it was fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge on the show today. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Great conversation. And thanks for the invitation. Really appreciate it. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.